Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Welcome to Make It Clear. My name is Stan Pons, and I'm your host and Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. I want you to know that today's program is, in a sense, part two from our program that we've had before with Dr. Richard Seymour. Now, if you weren't able to be with us to hear Dr. Seymour's testimony, but also the emphasis on the clarity of the gospel, that's all right. It's recorded. It's in our archives. You can certainly go into our app and look for the different programs there on the app, and you can look for Dr. Seymour interview, part one. If you want to, you can go to our other social media sites for the directory or go to our website. Let me remind you who Dr. Seymour is. Dr. Seymour trusted Christ as a Savior as a young man with some physical challenges in his life, but he didn't let those get him down. From then on, he knew that God had a plan and a purpose for his life, and he began to live that out, and that was to know God's Word accurately and to communicate it just as accurately and clearly to others. But more than just being an evangelist to speak to a one-and-done crowd, he wanted to equip the new generation of leaders. So God has called him as a Bible teacher, as well as a theologian, but also as one to train Christian works. And so he has done that at many schools. The two predominant schools with the most amount of time was at Florida Bible College. And I have to tell you, I was his student. And even today, in a sense, I am his student as he puts out more writings, which I will be sharing that with you. At the same time, he is now at Frontier School of the Bible, an outstanding Bible college that was founded in 1967 in a rural part of Wyoming. And they have over 250 students. And you might think, why in the world? Well, oftentimes in rural settings, students would prefer maybe to stay closer to home. And they needed a solid Bible college nearby to equip them for ministry. Dick has been here for many years. He's had many students. As I share this with you, while we're highlighting the life of Dick Seymour and what we're going to learn from him, I want you to know he's not some guru, some guy that came up with something, and now we all kind of like that shtick that he has. It is something that has been in Scripture from the very beginning. It was taught and proclaimed by those who know the Bible accurately for literally centuries. And what he's basically done is just sharing with you what has been taught for so many years. Unfortunately, it's up against a backdrop of those who aren't as clear nor as accurate on the Word. And so it might seem to you that this is new teaching, when in reality, it's more of the old teaching and the stuff that is off the reservation, we might say, would be the ones that are more newer. And we're bringing you back to the Bible. Uh, Dr. Seymour is not only a Bible teacher, he is a theologian, he is an author, he is a conference speaker, but also he's a friend of thousands and thousands of students and graduates and men and women around the world today. Dr. Seymour, welcome to Make It Clear. Thank you, Stan. Nice to be here. Just so our folks know you a little bit more in a very abbreviated fashion, but still important because it's his story, God's story in your life, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? I, uh, Moved to Miami, Florida when I was 19 years old. My parents were already there, and I joined them. And long story short, my mom was going to a Southern Baptist church in the area, urged me to go, didn't want to, but I finally caved in 
and went to a Sunday evening service and uh, came in contact with a very vibrant, large youth group who understood and knew the gospel and shared it and uh, ended up att attending the church for three weeks. And on the third week, having heard the gospel and now understanding it, I trusted Christ at my bedside. And that's your salvation testimony. And Paul gave his testimony at least seven times in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so that's important to be able to share your testimony because your testimony is really God's testimony in your life. And you're just sharing what the Lord did on the cross, right. but also how he brought you to the cross. And so, Dick, thank you for that. But you weren't just, I'm saved and now let's go out and live as I please. You then moved to the next level of dedication. So tell us briefly about that experience. A month after I trusted Christ, my pastor held meetings in central Miami in a rescue mission. And so a lot of us in the youth group went and we sang and that type of thing. And on the last service of the evening, he gave a message on our two believers to dedicate their lives to the Lord. Uh, I wasn't sure what that was, but I understood by his description that maybe I hadn't done that yet. And so during the invitation that evening, I walked forward and a month after I trusted Christ, I surrendered my life for him to do with as he wanted, I would follow. The dedication wasn't to, so to speak, get saved. No. The dedication wasn't to stay saved. The dedication was more as a way to say thank you because you were saved That's by right. faith alone in Christ. Right. But there are a lot of Christians today that are saved, and perhaps hopefully many of them have surrendered to the Lord as a post-experience. But at the same time, though, you are called in the ministry of teaching how does that make you feel? How, how, has that been a fulfilling experience for you? It has been very, very much. When I was a student in Bible school, at the end of my first semester, we had a prayer testimony chapel. And one of the older students named Denzel uh, said, I, I want to give a testimony thanking the Lord for Dick when he came here beginning of the semester, I could hardly understand a word that he said. And over this brief time of one semester, uh, God has done a miracle in his life, and I'd have no problem understanding him now. And that was an eye-opener for me and, and something I've thanked the Lord for every day since. Now, when you uh, speak to people, you're mostly known for making sure they understand the gospel, that they have trusted Christ by faith alone, and perhaps they know how to share it with others. So it's, and people, when they hear that, they often think, well, that's the shallow part of salvation. You know, that's, that's just the easy part of the Christian life. One thing that you have taught me, and, and many things that I've taken most of all, or all of your classes in Bible college, at Florida Bible College, they would teach Bible doctrines the first year. The last year, they offered systematic theology, which was like Bible doctrines on steroids. You wrote a systematic theology kind of book manual, and I like the way you did it because it was more like a catechism. The question was asked, then you biblically answered it. The question was asked, biblically answered through all those doctrines. I'm saying all that for a bigger reason. Behind you is not just that you know uh, kind of evangelistic cliches, you know, faith alone in Christ. Okay, well, that's important. But behind all of that is the doctrine of soteriology. Often people get the gospel messed up theologically, as well as clearly, they're making it unclear because they don't have a foundation in theology. So without going through all of Scripture, although it all dovetails around the person and the work of Christ, talk to us about the importance of the accuracy of the gospel. Accuracy of the Bible, of the gospel rather, has to come from the Bible. 
And as, as a kid raised in a certain church, uh, I heard biblical religious cliches, but never understood the gospel. And so when I share the gospel, I, I often ask the person I'm talking to something like, do you consider yourself perfect? Hmm. Well, no, nobody's perfect. Well, neither am I. When I realized I had to be perfect, but I'm not, I knew I had a problem, and the problem is solved by the gospel. So let me share a couple of verses with you. In Romans chapter 4, uh, talking about Abraham being justified by faith alone, it says in verse 5, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted as righteousness. And sometime when I read that verse, I've had people tell me, well, it was Abraham. He lived before the law. Moses and David and so on, they were saved by keeping the law. And when I'm interrupted that way, I, I'm always glad because then I can say, but the rest of the verse says, <laughs> even as David also describes the blessed, blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from Psalms, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So they were saved by faith alone before Abraham or by Abraham, after Abraham, throughout the Old Testament, coming into the New Testament. And by the way, the New Testament often quotes the Old, showing the, the, the uh, harmony of both. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, he read, For by grace you have been saved. Grace means undeserved mercy, among other things. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, being saved, is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so when I share Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 with someone, I always make, make the point that when it says, um, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, that is neuter, and uh, salvation is, is um, which is not of yourselves, and it's through faith, and that, not of yourselves, is the gift of God. So the whole plan of salvation, the, the accomplishing of it by Christ, the, the presentation of it to you and me or to humans, is always um, apart from works or goodness on our part, and always by faith in Christ alone. And then in Titus, uh, you read in verse 5, this is chapter 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And so it's not by our works, it's not by our doing or our character or what we bring to the table. It's not by tithing or baptism. It's by simple faith in Christ who made the complete payment for our sins, rose again to prove it, and now offers the gift of salvation freely. Listeners, you're listening to Dr. Richard Seymour. He is a Bible teacher for many, many decades. He has written uh, much material, whether they're books or manuals, especially on systematic theology, the gospel, which would be the doctrine of soteriology, the, the salvation issues, as well as how to present it with others. So Dr. Seymour just gave you the tip of the iceberg letting you know that this is the beginning of the whole iceberg says the same thing. But the tip of the iceberg is salvation is not by works of any kind, whether they're social good deeds, or if you want to do more religious good deeds, like keeping the law and those types of things, it, it is only by faith in Christ. Now, I said that, and I'm kind of setting up our listeners here, but explain a moment now the tension between grace and works 
and then those that want to combine the two. According to Scripture, and Scripture alone, like in the Gospel of John, it gives the condition or the plan of salvation by faith in Christ alone over and over and over and over again. It doesn't mention salvation coming by water baptism, not by law-keeping, good works, by faith alone, because Christ made the complete payment, and when he rose from the dead, that proved that what he did on the cross accomplished why he came to be our Savior and offer eternal life freely. Sometimes when I'm uh, speaking on the issue of the gospel, I try to let them know three things. You have works for salvation. That doesn't work in Scripture. It, it doesn't cut mustard. The second is what we call the unclear gospel. And I explain it by saying that an unclear message doesn't really go as far as saying it's works, mm-hmm. but it also doesn't go as far as to explain what true salvation is. So it's, that's the unclear middle part. And then you have the clarity of the gospel, mm-hmm. which is by faith alone in Christ. Are there particular terms or presentations that would describe an unclear gospel that people wouldn't know? They would think, well, that's part of the gospel, but it really isn't. It would be unclear. Would you like to address that? Sure. If someone shares the quote-unquote shares the gospel and says things like, are you willing to give your heart to Christ? Well, salvation is not a give proposition. Salvation is a take proposition. Mm-hmm. We receive Christ. He, he did the giving when he, when he died on the cross. We do the receiving by faith. Or the water baptism issue, very common in certain churches. You're not really saved until you're baptized in water, usually by immersion. But that's not part of the gospel either. But regarding the commandments, um, back in Romans 4 again, the first part of Romans 4, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it, that is his faith or belief, was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Then it goes on to say, but it's not by works, it's by faith alone. And so any anything that has merit, human merit, public confession, water baptism, quitting your sinning, uh, turning over a new leaf, joining the church, and on and on it goes, subtracts from the gospel. It doesn't clarify it, it subtracts from it. Mm-hmm. It's by faith alone and Christ alone. Your very first book was called The Gift of God, and I remember when it first came out, as valuable as the first part was because it it established what the gospel is, mm-hmm. we were getting that in class at Florida Bible College, for which we're very grateful. I found the second half of the book more unusually helpful, mm-hmm. and that is because you took the common either uh, verses that people would use for salvation or the verses that were misunderstood on salvation, and you properly exegeted those verses in the context that verse was to show that that verse was not substantiating salvation. It had another issue. Perhaps, um, like you just did a moment ago, you might pick one or two that seem to be the more predominant passages that people sometimes will use to say, this is salvation. Listeners, again, the name of the book is called The Gift of God. It is so very, very popular that it has been translated in many languages. In my personal opinion, you have a lot of good books that are out there, but if you could add one more book to your personal library, 
I would suggest that you get the book called The Gift of God by Richard Seymour. That's The Gift of God by Richard Seymour. You can get a copy of that book by simply going to his website, as well as you can also write us here at Make It Clear and say, I'd like to know how to get a copy of the book, The Gift of God. That's Tell Me More at MakeItClear.org. So again, Dr. Seymour, tell us a particular verse or two that people would like to use to say this is substantiating salvation, and now that you'll bring it through Scripture and exegete it in a way that they'll see that it does not say that salvation is by faith alone in Christ. Let me give you one that occurs in three Gospels, twice in Matthew, once in Luke, once in Mark, not all in John, and it's this statement, he who endures to the end shall be saved. I was raised in that mentality. Mm-hmm. You, you believe in Jesus, right, but you got to endure to the end. If you don't, you backslide or whatever, you, mm-hmm. you'll end up in hell, not heaven. Mm-hmm. All, all occurrences of that statement in the three Gospels, in context, is talking about a period of time in the future. We call it the Great Tribulation, and Christ is saying, to the disciples, you'll be persecuted, you'll be misused, you'll be abused, on and on it goes. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And so I always ask when I'm confronted with that, I have three questions for you. He who endures what? To the end of what? Saved from what? And when you answer those three questions in each context, it's not talking about eternal salvation at all. It's talking about physical death. So if you're being persecuted and you endure it, and then you continue faithfully, you'll be saved from their attempt to kill you. Mm-hmm. That's what the contact of all, all three of them are. You'll be saved from them. You'll be saved from death. You'll be saved from what the persecution is meant to be and has nothing to do with going to heaven. That's excellent. And you gave us just one illustration in your book, The Gift of God. You have many of those verses that are taken out of context, inaccurately interpreted. And now you'll explain to them in a a scholarly way, but very easy to understand. So this is your go-to book, folks. It's one that you need to have. And perhaps you want to give it to someone else that is really wrestling with, is it a gift or do I work for it? Do I pay for a gift? Or where does this all go? It's called The Gift of God by Dr. Richard Seymour. Would you give us your website that we can get a copy of that? ClarityMinistries.org. ClarityMinistries.org. All right, let's move from the understanding of soteriology that it is by faith alone in Christ alone for salvation without the deeds of the law or any works. A lot of Christians might begin to get that somehow between what they know and what they give to the person gets muddied up. Maybe you could share with us, uh, someone's listening and they're saying, you know, I want to tell my friends, but how do I get this out? How do I share it with them? How do I tell them that message? Would you give us some practical suggestions on how to open a conversation maybe and what to say and maybe even how to bring it to a close if it seems to go that way? Would you like to share that? First of all, I don't usually start off a conversation with the gospel. If I'm saying in Walmart waiting for my wife (laughs) while she shops and I'm on the bench and I either sit beside someone or someone comes and sits beside me, I'll start up a general conversation. Then I'll ask a question, something like, uh, tell me, if you don't mind, if you were to die now, do you know you'll you'll go to heaven? And I get all kinds of answers. Mm -hmm. I get many more, I think so, Mm -hmm. than anything else. And and so if they say, I, I... think so or no, I don't know, or whatever. I'll ask a follow-up question. 
what would you like to know? Mm-hmm. If you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. And I've rarely ever had anybody say no. And so if they nod or say sure, then I, I begin going into the gospel. And one of the first things I normally say is the thing I mentioned earlier. The shocking thing I found out when I first heard the gospel was that I had to be perfect to go to heaven. And boy, the one thing I know about myself is now I'm not, I'm not perfect. And then I follow with, how about you? And I've only in many, many years only had two people say they were, and I proved to them they weren't. But anyway, uh, normally, oh, no, I'm not either. So I've got them where I want them. You have to be perfect, but we both agree we're not. So what do you do? Then I explain why Christ came, who he, who he was and who he is, and why he came to pay the penalty of sin, rise from the dead to prove that he did it, but back to, to his Father in heaven, and now offer eternal life freely. And it's free because it can't be worked for because we've already sinned. Heaven's a perfect place, we're not. And so it's offered freely on the condition that you place your faith in Christ. And if I'm sitting on that bench, I'll normally say, like you're trusting this bench right now to hold, mm. you, hold you up. If you trust him, you're not trusting yourself. You're not relying upon anything you are or do or money you give or whatever. You're trusting totally him in him for your eternal salvation. And it is a free gift received by faith. It's interesting because it seems like what I'm hearing you say is you began with what I'm going to, I'm going to call a, a secular conversation, a simple conversation, getting them to talk, you know, right. and then you moved it into kind of a spiritual conversation. So they'd feel comfortable talking about spiritual matters, never fighting, arguing on all of that. But then you ended on a salvation. This is what it is and how easy that flow was. But maybe our listeners are saying there may be more to, uh, I can share it this way or that way. I know I've taken personal evangelism from you. It wasn't a five-minute presentation like we just gave now. It was a whole semester and beyond. You have a book that could help listeners to be able to find out about how to share their faith. So you'll get the gospel, what it is, obviously, but then how to communicate it. What's the name of that book? Fishing for Men. What a great title, too, isn't it? It's biblical. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ said he came to be fishers of men. But anyway, uh, it's my large, largest book of, of the uh, one I have. Uh, I use it here at Frontier School of the Bible in my class, obviously. But it not only gives the gospel, explains what the gospel is not and why it's not by works and so on. It goes into uh, what about people who have this question or that question or another question? Why keep keeping the Ten Commandments don't, don't, doesn't save? Why water baptism doesn't? Public confession and on and on it goes. I think it's the best book on personal evangelism <laughs> Certainly. Uh, out there, but I'm prejudiced. But anyway, uh, I get more comments on that book than I do any other that I've written. Well, dear ones, we've been listening to Dr. Richard Seymour, a Bible teacher, a theologian, one who has given his life to equipping the new generation to be able to communicate the gospel accurately and clearly, but also passionately. You know, you can be accurate, but if you're not clear, they will understand it. Mm-hmm. If they're, You could be very clear, but if you're not accurate, you're clearly wrong. Or you could be accurate and clear, but if you have no passion, it'll never get out. So there is all that together. Now, I want to highlight four books for you. One is called The Gift of God, which is simply an understanding of what is salvation and also dealing with some problem passages. The second is a book that's called All About Repentance. That is a go-to book on the topic of 
of repentance because other than maybe some other issues, in my opinion, that is the most provocative topic today. What does the Bible say about repentance? And this is called all about repentance because it goes through all of the uh, uses of repentance in Scripture, the proper use of it, that it will not then contradict the doctrine of soteriology. The other book is written to those who do not know Christ as Savior, and it's religion. Who needs it? Well, that's a great topic because it kind of piques your interest, but it's a great book to give to those who don't know Christ as Savior. And then for all of you, and me as well, who want to share the gospel and we want to get new tidbits of help and how we can do that, I recommend the book that is also a textbook in many different colleges. It's called Fishing for Men by Richard Seymour. You can get a copy of that at his website, clarityministries.org. That's clarityministries.org. So, Dr. Seymour, I want to thank you for being with us. It has been a joy to have you with us for both of these interviews, and we look forward to more in the future. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it very much. Those of you that are now sensing that, wow, I think I'd like to know more of the Bible, you may check out Frontier School of the Bible. That's fsbible.org. That's F for Frontier, S School Bible, fsbible.org. And for those of you that are on the East Coast and you are interested in a Bible college there, I encourage you to look up floridabiblecollege.com. Well, until next time, let me encourage you to make it clear. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear. P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.